Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. There's a, a great chance that we're going to play. Um, and even yesterday, with uh, uh, not going to classrooms, that helps us uh, create a, a better shield around our, our program and a, and a better bubble. Uh, the NC, uh, the uh, NBA model's working. Uh, they've had uh, very few distractions, uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do. Sports Radio FNZ, welcome back to Wilson and Parcell. It's the 3 o'clock hour on the show. I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. Hacked on the NBA coming up in 20 minutes here on the show. But you just heard Mac Brown there uh, from earlier this week talking about the uh, the UNC Chapel Hill going to remote learning. It's actually a positive thing for for the Tar Heel football program and the environment that it allows them to create to go ahead and have that conversation. But the state of college football, uh, the Power Five conferences that intend to play, and more. We head out to the Technicom hotline and welcome on David Ubbin, college football writer uh, for The Athletic. He also covers the Tennessee Volunteers. David, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So, uh, in case you didn't hear what what Mac just said there, he said that uh, with UNC Chapel Hill transitioning to remote learning, it actually helps the chances of UNC playing this fall. Do you think the same could be said if similar things happened across the other Power Five conferences? I mean, I feel like this has been sort of obvious for months that sort of all online classes, I mean, just the pure reality of minimizing how much your your roster interacts with the rest of the student body or anyone for that matter um, but especially the student body um, would limit the chances that they're going to contract the virus um, the sort of you know resistance to that has always been that you can do that but it sort of taps into the idea that that student you know quote-unquote student athletes are actually employees uh, in every sense of the word and that's been the biggest explanation for so many campuses resistance to it because you have a team facility you have an athletic dorm. You have a lot of um, ability to bubble your team. Um, but, you know, no one's really expressed any seriousness about doing that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that's going to happen. You know, that's, that's, that's the safest approach. Um, but, you know, whether or not anything gets close to that, uh, I guess time will tell. You know, David, 
I mean, it's very obvious what you just said is true, that if they keep student athletes and football players on campus, but they send everybody else away, it's it's clear what they're doing. I, I, I know that you could make the argument that, to your point, college football players already have their own dorms, their own some places have their own meal halls. A lot of them come back to campus for workouts or they stay on campus during spring break and winter break. They're, they're already treated slightly differently this is, of course, a different situation because it's a, a you know health is at stake here. But do you think that it opens up too big of a can of worms that if they keep college football players on campus to play these games, but they tell everybody else eh, it's probably not safe for you to be here? Well, I mean that seems like the safest thing for everybody. I mean the whole thing is, I mean if you're at this point still believing in the idea of amateurism, I mean it takes a special level of naivete to, to do that. You have a hundred guys on a roster that help produce in a lot of places, you know, nine digit revenues. And so, you know, they want to sort of hold up this uh, facade of amateurism and it, it puts players at risk and it makes all of us less likely to get to watch college football this, uh, this fall. So, you know, it's sort of a can of worms. I mean, I think it's the can of worms should have been opened a long time ago. Pandemic has exposed so many cracks in so many facets of American life and the American infrastructure, and amateurism is sort of one of those. In that, you know, because schools and and all of you know the the universities want to hold on to amateurism, it does put players at a higher risk, and that's silly to me. Yeah, let me be clear. I believe they should play as long as it's safe and healthy to do so, and I believe keeping them on campus and and sending other kids away is is the only way that this is really possible. When I say can of worms, David. The one thing I worry about is if you if you expose this and it led to the, the players becoming true employees, which I agree with you. I mean, they, they, they basically are. But if they were classified as employees, what does that do to Title IX? What does that do to the other you know, athletes on campus that are funded? Their scholarships are essentially funded by football. You know that as well as I do, as well as anybody. That, should it be name, image, and likeness? Is that is that the solution here? I know the players have, have put forth some demands, the Pac-12, Players United, things like that. What can this lead to? What do you think ultimately that what, what has been exposed in the last few months in college football, where does this lead? Well, these cries for um, uh, a players' union would have been quieted if they did pass name, image, likeness a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, that's blatantly wrong. As far as Title IX and the funding goes, well, I'll tell you what it means. Is it means less $10,000 lockers, less $2 million assistance. I mean, the money in college football is ridiculous. Um, if you shift your priorities and you move around money, I mean, the facilities arms race is, is absurd. The, N- the NFL makes infinitely more money. The players make more money. And guess what? The facilities are worse. That's where you have to do. You have to move that money around. Uh, and the idea that, oh, you know, if, if players end up getting paid, we're going to have to cut sports. Yeah, it does if you don't want to change your budget. Um, and so that's sort of it's, – it's a cop-out, honestly. The whole thing is, is a little ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it would be difficult. Yeah, it would require some wholesale changes. But those changes would mean a more equitable system for people and, and, and more money going to people that are taking on risk. And, you know, again, name, image, likeness is uh, a part of that. And I think, obviously, that's going to become a reality. I, I don't know that we're ever going to get to the point where you have play for play. But if you start doing bubbles or sending, uh, you know, students home and keeping players there, I can tell you there's going to be people pushing for that. And those lawsuits are going to have a lot more teeth in the years to come. And, and you know, we'll see how it plays out. But, uh, you know, the sort of hiding behind Title IX is, 
a, a played out excuse to me because uh, people want to say, well, that if you do that, then well, then everything has to stay the same. You can't, you can't like take money out of your facility. You can't chill out with a barber shop or things that are meant to keep players in the facility as long as possible. You can't move that money around. Maybe get slightly worse lockers. Stop paying, you know, uh, your your offensive line coach nine hundred thousand dollars. I mean, this is like. It, again, it takes you know when you when you have that much money and you have to spend it, you're gonna find a way to spend it. You know, if somebody gave me five million dollars a year and said you can only keep getting this money if you you know spend all that, well, I'm gonna find a way too. And then when somebody wants to make a change, I'm gonna say, well, I mean, but so does that mean that I can't just get you know a steak catered every single night to my room? Like, <laughs> yeah, probably. So it's like, yeah, let's get the priorities shifted a little bit here. David Ubbin of The Athletic joining us here on Wilson and Parcel on the Technicom hotline. Uh, David, we talked about the SEC schedule release yesterday. It was tough for me to get excited uh, after what really you know two weeks ago and in, in the fallout from two of the Power Five conferences. In regards to the remaining Power Five conferences that want to play, and specifically the SEC, is there a drop-dead date by which a decision has to be made on playing in the fall? No, I mean, I think ultimately the decision is to stick with the status quo. I mean, there's not they're not really in limbo of like, are we going to play or are we not? The plan right now is they're going to play. The only question is, is there something that's going to come up that keeps them from playing? That's more what the conversation is at this point. So, um, you know, in terms of drop dead date, I mean, no, it's they're gonna they're gonna push everything they can to play. And if you have too many cases on teams, too many cases on campus uh, campuses, campuses shut down, then then there's obviously the possibility that the season doesn't get off the ground or stops or pauses or ends entirely. Um, but, you know, they don't have to make a decision to play. They're, they're, they're planning on playing right now. David, I got, I got a question for you. So I'm frustrated. I think a lot of people are frustrated at the lack of transparency from the Big Ten in their decision to shut down. We know Justin Fields and a lot of parents are frustrated. We saw Justin Fields on Good Morning America today. But but I think at the same time, if we're going to hold the Big Ten to a standard of transparency, shouldn't we also hold the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 to that same standard in asking why they're making the decision to, to, to wait? Because we haven't had a lot in the way of 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 understanding why they're actually still playing other than they're just being patient and seeing how it goes. Shouldn't we know the information and, and, and the medical advice that they're getting just like the Big Ten? Well, we're trying. You know, uh, <laughs> they've been pretty silent. And, and at the Athletic, you know, last week, uh, we had a couple writers that were able to talk to a member of the SEC's uh, medical task force, Catherine O'Neill from LSU, and she talked about sort of why the SEC is continuing to, to, to move on while the other conferences are not. And and what that looks like, and we've had interviews, you know, earlier uh, in all this with uh, the Missouri representative. You know, these people have been pretty tight-lipped so far, but you know, we're trying. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think more transparency, especially now, especially how much is on the line and, and how much um, you know players could be at risk here. I think is necessary. You know, we don't have subpoena power. Obviously, there's only so much we can do, and uh, you're sort of at the uh, you know the whims of people being willing to talk, but. Yeah, I think at this point, everyone making these decisions, at least once you make the decision or when you're coming close to making the decision, I think does have a responsibility to say, this is the information we base this decision off of. This is why we're, we're doing it this way. And, you know, this is how it's, uh, it's sort of going to be. I think, you know, the, uh, one of the big reasons why you're seeing all this, um, you know, unrest and is because 
they haven't really said a whole lot about why they had to make that decision when they did. You know, I think the Big Ten's decision is defensible, um, despite so many people wanting to play, but I think it was probably too soon, and I think that I, I totally understand the frustration from folks who haven't really gotten answers for why things were done the way that they were and why other conferences can, can continue to move on. And so, uh, you know, the Pac-12 has handled this a lot better, and, you know, I really feel bad for, for the kids and their parents and the people who, uh, you know, want to play this fall and aren't going to get that opportunity. And, and, you know, when they ask their coaches and the people around them why, they aren't getting very good answers. You know, it's not about the media needing to know things or, you know, us getting mad when people don't talk to us. It's about people that, you know, have a stake in this that, that aren't getting the answers that they deserve. Well, David, let's talk about the team you cover, Tennessee. I, I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm around Charlotte and I see Vols fans everywhere. It feels like they all like to migrate east to Charlotte once they leave Knoxville. Uh, I, I don't know how happy Vols fans are when they saw the schedule come out uh, the other day because this is a gauntlet, man. I mean, they got Alabama, they got Auburn, they got A&M from the other side. I know there was a lot of optimism about the Vols, but realistically, 10-game schedule, what, what's the expectation for this team with the schedule they have? Well, you know, Tennessee's only finished above 500 in the SEC twice since 2007. Uh, and so I think that's sort of your goal, get to 5-5 five and five or, or better. Um, and that's, you know, somewhat doable. I think the interesting thing about Tennessee's schedule is, you know, for a long time, you know, Tennessee has this month-long stretch in September and October that's hard every single year. You have Florida, and then usually some game breaks it up, and then you got to play Georgia, you got to play Alabama, basically in a month. That's tough. Um, for anyone, much less Tennessee, and especially Tennessee being down where they have over the last decade. Now, they don't really have that stretch. They obviously have those games earlier in the season, but they're broken up a lot more. Later in the year, you do have a, a stretch of three games in four weeks You know, on the back end, where Tennessee has normally had a much easier schedule, where you have Auburn and Texas A&M, and then they close with Florida in a December game. That should be uh, very odd. Um, but you know, Tennessee, I think the whole cadence of the entire season is going to be different, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. But, you know, ultimately, Tennessee's got the third-best roster in the East, so the goal for them is, you know, certainly should be third in the East or better and, and above 500. And if you do those things and you're competitive in the games that you play against the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world and you're not getting beat up by three touchdowns, I, I think Tennessee fans will understand and say, hey, this is still about building for the future. You can follow him on Twitter at David Ubbin. He is David Ubbin of the college football writing fame for The Athletic. David, great stuff. Really do appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. David there again on the Technicom uh, hotline. Great stuff with him. Uh, we got a lot to get to in this hour, but all Texas hour courtesy of the Building Center text line, all tweets courtesy of Diamonds Direct, and you're going to want to start texting and tweeting in your submissions because as the NBA playoff rolls on in the background here on Wilson and Parcel, we've got hacked on the NBA next on Sports Radio FNC. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. 
In 60 minutes' time, we're going to have Jonathan Jones, the great JJ of CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ. Uh, we'll talk with him about the Panthers. We'll get back to the idea of the Panthers ceiling and the Panthers floor. In the meantime, it's that time of the week. It's Wednesday. It's 3.20, and it's time to test and quiz Hacksaw. This week's theme is in in honor of the NBA playoffs as we see that the uh, the Nets have the 68 to 65 lead over the Raptors in game 2 of their series halfway through the third quarter it is for the NBA uh, well, that can be NBA playoffs. That can be guys still in there. It can be historical. But we need your help. 704-570-9610. Get in your NBA things for Hacksaw. Names, things, and whatever for Hacksaw to spell. Hacksaw, how you feeling, buddy? Uh, nervous, as always. Okay, should we do a Giannis ban? We've done this twice before, and every time somebody tries to put Giannis in, it's a lost cause at this point, Josh. I'm not going to be that mean today. We'll we'll start you I off with something simpler. It. No, you can't. Giannis, I can spell. No, not, not no. the other one. Not, that's, <laughs> that's what we were going to have you spell, oh, is well, Antetokounmpo. All right, well, let's get started <laughs> with something. Uh, let's go with the coach name. He is. Uh, he, he's, his team is up one nothing. His last name is Spolstra. Eric Spolstra. Who does he coach? Uh, I don't know. The Supersonics. Um, <laughs> Spolstra. S P U L T R U A. Spolstra. Spolstra. Yeah. It's Spolstra. Oh, okay, fine. I put an S before the T there. <laughs> okay. Josh, what do you have? Not even close. All right. Let's go with Contavious. Who does he play for? Why are you so Contavious, Josh? <laughs> What's his last <laughs> Who does he play for? This is not uh, just spelling. This is, I, I, need, I need NBA knowledge the, bombs the from you. Trailblazers. That's actually close. He played, series. Ag- he played against the Trailblazers last night, but they lost. Oh. Contavious. Uh, um, uh, C? Okay. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Keep it, wait, wait. Keep it up. Uh, let's start at the beginning. It's not C. Okay. Now restart. K. 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 O. N. T. Do not say that. Do not say the start of that word just yet. A. V. U. S. Contavis? Yeah. No, that is not it. Uh, all right, let's. We're going to simplify it now. Uh, he is the interim coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Jacques Vaughn. Can you spell Jacques? No. <laughs> um, Jacques. Uh, J. Nailed it. That's it. Let's shut it down. <laughs> J. Uh, Come on, man! You're like the I French expert on the show. I am not. This oh, should be your try, thing. Maybe try you're it fr- in your French accent. Okay, uh huh, Jacques. Uh huh. Um, feeling better, aren't uh, you? Uh, Jay. Uh, j- 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 uh, <laughs> uh, J A U C K. Jock? Yeah. No, it's a Jock. J A C Q U E. Oh, that Q, that that dreaded Q. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about this? Okay, let's let's go this one. Nine eight number on the text line saying Muggsy, as in Muggsy Bogues. Ah, uh, Muggsy. Um, 
M U G G E Y S Mugsy Muggies. M U G G S E Y. Oh, that's S-E-Y. not any better, is it? Okay. No, it's S Y, but it's okay. Oh, well, I don't you were closer the second time. Okay. That's <laughs> progress in some not circles. Mugs, not Muggsies. Uh, the text line also coming up with flagrant or flagrant foul. Is that like a spicy foul or something? Like if it, you know. That would be a fragrant foul. Yeah. <laughs> Moron. Uh, you know what, though? All they right, should again, have fragrant the fouls. does not need to be here, Josh. Fragrant foul would be a great change of pace for basketball. You smell, you smell terrible. Like someone has really bad BO on the court. Offside. And, uh, fra- fragrant foul. Who smells the worst in the NBA? Can we go there? No, we can't. Okay. Uh, smell fragrance. Uh, probably, it's probably JaVale McGee. I don't know what that dude does in his off time. Ah, uh, fragrant. Okay. Uh, flagrant. Yeah, fragrant. Uh, F-L-A-G-R-A-N-T. Flagrant. Wow. I, oh, my. Really? Yes. Very good. All right, wow. Josh. What do you have, buddy? Kyrie. Kyrie. <laughs> uh, Who does Kyrie play for right now? Right now, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I know at some point he played for... For who? Uh, was it... Uh, uh, the the Cavaliers at Look one at point. that. Look at that. Now I think he plays for Boston? Mm, no, wrong. no. Now okay. it's now it's actually Brooklyn. At one point he, he did. Oh, okay. He went to Boston. No. Now he's in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. Good job, though. Kyrie. Kinda. K. Y R I E Kyrie. You are the man. Look Did at that. I get it? That's beautiful. You are the man. All right. Uh, all right. Go with uh, Clay Thompson. Okay. K L A Y. All right. There you go. I'm not even going to make you spell Thompson. Thompson. Good job. Yeah. All right. Well, what, you know what? Uh, let's. Let, you're on a roll here, so we'd like to test you when you're on a roll. Uh, Markel Fultz. Please spell Markel. Markel. Uh, M A R K. Okay, so we got Mark. E L. Markel. Keep L? going. Okay. Okay. That that's all. So wait, wait. M A R K. M A R K E L L. Markel. E? Oh, there's another E. <laughs> Sorry, I, I gave it away. I gave it away. But there's uh, another E. No, yeah, believe it or not, it, it's E L L E. How about this? What about Fultz? That's easier, right? Fultz. F U L T Z. Fultz. Back in the game. Woj, look out. Yeah, Hacksaw's coming for you. I can't spell his name. Oh, please don't ask. Spell Wojnarowski. Um, okay. Well, well, Woj bomb here. Don't know how to spell it. Uh, well, start w- to spell Woj. W-O-J. <laughs> okay, now spell the rest. I-N Wojn O-S-K It's Wojnarowski. Oh, Woj- not Wojnarowski. I thought it's Wojnarowski. <laughs> uh, the text line coming Sorry, through again, <laughs> uh, saying "bull bull." And who does Bull Bull play for? Uh, 
I don't know. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, it's Denver, by the way. Who was Bull Bull's the father? Heat, heat? I don't know. Um. <laughs> Who was Bull Bull's father? There's I, not a joke to this. Wanted, it's a straight-ahead question. I, I wanted to do a joke, but if you say wrong. chair, chair, or table, table, you're gone. <laughs> Who is? How does? How do you spell Bobo? B O L B O L. Wow. Okay. All right. That, well, that was kind of like a, a little bit of a trick there. You you didn't fit into the trick. All right. Let's go with. Embiid. Embiid? Mm-hmm. E-M-B-I-D. Embiid. So close. Very, very There's close. There's an E on the end, isn't no, there? No, that would be Embiid. Um, <laughs> now you're getting closer to a presidential candidate. It's Embiid. E-M-B-I-I-D. Two I's. Man. Come on, like, man. It's like llama. I, I don't like Right. That. It's got that extra, <laughs> just that vowel in there. Well, llama's a consonant. But it's close, man. It's close. <laughs> All right. The, the text line Stay coming back. through again. Uh, Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Uh, Let's go Porzingis. What? I, I had to spell this. I had to type his name yesterday, and I can't remember. Porzingis. P-O-R-Z-I-N- G U S. No! <laughs> you were there! Was, what, I was ready I to celebrate! What, what did I do? It's I S, not U S. The man's Latvian. I have yet to see a U in the end of a. Uh, that's okay. I, I, I will challenge you. I will yeah, you might you. be right on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not with all Latvian names, just Porzingis. <laughs> all right. Ja Morant. Morant? Yeah, no, no, Ja Morant. Oh, uh, uh, J A. Okay, there you M- go. I gave you that. I gave you literally the easiest name in the league. J A M. Uh huh. O. Uh huh. R. Uh huh. H A N T. Ja Morant. Uh, <laughs> what what what's his first name? Uh, Ja. Okay, good. For a minute there, I thought you thought it was one name. Yeah, no, and I started I, to get I, scared. I didn't think okay. it at all. <laughs> what is it? Who does he play for? Come on, man. He was just in the play-in game three days ago. Uh, he might win rookie. He will win rookie of the year. Uh, he grew uh, up an hour away. Two hours away. Oh, he played. No. Spartanburg. Oh. Um, that was way off. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Samsonite. That <laughs> was way off. <laughs> Uh, John Murray plays for the Grizzlies. The Grizz- oh, come on, man. Okay. We're, 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 all right, Woj, you can keep your job. <laughs> all right, Hackshaw, let's go to a term here. Alley-oop. Okay. Uh, no, a- that okay is not how you spell it. <laughs> uh, A-L-L-Y. Uh, oop. O- O-P. You missed You missed an E. Alley-oop. Yeah. Come on now. All right. Uh, how about uh, this guy? Actually, very good player. Nobody talks about him. Karis Levert. That's a real. That's a real name. It's actually a sweet name. Why am I more like Karis Levert? Karis is the hard part for me. No. Yeah, K- Karis Levert. Go, the full name. Let's go. He plays Karis, for the Mets. He's uh, actually playing C- right now. A R I S Levert L. A V E R T Levert. Ugh. 
You know, fifty percent uh, is not a passing grade. All right, final one here, Hackshaw. Mm-hmm. This is the one. Yeah. Okay, Chris uh, Tapps Porzingis got two of these the other night. Technical foul. Technical. Mm-hmm. T E C H N I C A L. Technical. All right. Foul. F-O-U-L. Look at that. Very good. That's a twofer. You got them both right. That is Hacked on Phonics. Hacked on the NBA. Uh, We do that every single Wednesday here on Wilson and Parcel at uh, 320. You done good, Hacks. Congratulations. I guess. The odds are what they are, but I can't root against Christian McCaffrey. I won't root against Christian McCaffrey. Sports Radio FNC. Forty minutes away from our discussion with Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ. Excited to talk with JJ. Uh, we'll get into uh, reports of a platoon situation at quarterback in the NFL. We'll also get into the latest with the Carolina Panthers. But Josh, uh, you know the pretty interesting uh, prop bet that Bill Barnwell came up for Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, so he Barnwell's the man. He he does a great job at, at previewing the NFL season. And one way he did it the other day was with prop bets for every team in the NFL. And the Panthers prop bet, I think, is a great one. He has Christian McCaffrey's yards from scrimmage. And he has him as a nine and a half yard favorite over anybody else in the league. So essentially, you're saying that McCaffrey will again lead the league in yards from scrimmage, which he did easily last season. Um, and that not only will he lead the league, but the next closest player won't be within 10 yards of him, which is pretty small. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, but that's the prop bet nine and a half over any other player in the league. It looks a lot easier when you think about uh, CMC had 615 more yards than second place Ezekiel Elliott last year. The problem is Saquon Barkley is a guy who could easily. And by the way, this is easily. These are the guys we know. Saquon Barkley could easily challenge uh, Christian McCaffrey for total yardage from scrimmage this year, and and we expect Christian McCaffrey to to be a little bit less than twenty three hundred yards or almost twenty four hundred yards this year. Yeah, so I I did the homework, and if you look at the guys over the last decade that have led the NFL in yards from scrimmage, McCaffrey, by the way, has the most of any of those guys. I mean, it was an amazing season, so to keep that in mind. But over the last ten years. If you led the league in yards from scrimmage, on average, the following season, those same players had a drop off of 630 yards from the year before. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were worse players. In some cases, they probably were. But it just means that when you have a season where you lead the league, it can be an outlier. It's very hard to to duplicate that. Not a single player in the last 10 years. You actually have to go back quite a ways to find a player who led the league in yards from scrimmage one year and then had more yards from scrimmage the following year. It's very, very hard to do that. So I took that number. So on average, 630-yard drop-off. If McCaffrey dropped off by 630 yards, that would put him at 1,762 yards next season. If he had 1,762 yards, the last time that someone led the NFL uh, in yards from scrimmage 
with 1,760 yards or less was 1987. So you have to go back almost 40 years, 35 years, to find a guy that led the league in yards from scrimmage with what I think is probably a pretty reasonable expectation for McCaffrey. Now, maybe he doesn't have such a big drop-off. That is the average, after all. But I don't. I think it would be crazy for us to expect McCaffrey to duplicate what he did last year for a number of reasons. And if I'm, if I'm betting McCaffrey, this is not just McCaffrey versus Barkley or McCaffrey versus Zeke. It's McCaffrey versus everybody. So if I had to actually walk to the, the window in Vegas and bet McCaffrey minus 9.5 against anybody else... I would take the field. Yeah, and I I think it I think it's an e- I don't want to say easy bet, but I think it's a safe bet to take the field. I think what's what's also interesting in all of this is the idea that if you look at the usage of how they use players in uh, New Orleans, you know the the most Alvin Kamara ever had was just under sixteen hundred yards. Now that was sharing the rock with Latavius Murray, uh, his earlier seasons where he went for fifteen hundred yards with Mark Ingram. But I also think the reason why those are interesting is the most touches that Alvin Kamara's had in his career are 288 touches. Now, I think the reason why that was his limit is he did have Mark Ingram opposite of him who had 200 touches himself. And Christian McCaffrey is the better overall running back. Alvin Kamara is maybe the more explosive player, but Alvin Kamara can't do between the tackles what Christian McCaffrey can. I, I do think... I do think we can see Chris McCaffrey this year do more than anything Kamara has done yardage wise. If we're just going off that metric in in New Orleans, and then I think he would at least be in the conversation for this to happen. I think it's possible. I'd still take the field. though. Of course it's possible. I mean, McCaffrey is he's the number one pick in every fantasy draft. He's the number one running back in the NFL. He's still tw- going on to his age 24 season. It's not like the guy's 27 about to turn 28. It's very possible McCaffrey is better this season just as a player than he was a year ago. I mean, this kid's still just entering into his prime. I mean, 2020 version of McCaffrey, I wouldn't take any other running back in the NFL before I would take him. Um, I mean, you you answered your own question, I think, a little bit with Kamara, is that Kamara had... In Mark Ingram, I would say a borderline elite running back to share the backfield with. Not so much with Latavius Murray, but Kamara also last year had some injuries that that, that banged him up a little bit. He was wasn't 100 percent for part of the season, even when he was on the field. But yeah, I mean, I, I would expect McCaffrey still to touch the ball more than Kamara ever has. Probably closer to you know you're talking like 350 touches. But I just again look historically because it's easy to sit here and think, well, McCaffrey. Thousand thousand. This is the second straight year. He's getting a ton of receptions. He's going to make plays out of the backfield. He's a runner. He's going to have fifteen hundred yards on the ground. You know, he gets another six seven hundred yards through the air. He's going to lead the league in yards from scrimmage again. That all sounds great, but go back and look at league history. The last time a guy led the league in yards from scrimmage two years in a row. Do you have any idea when that might have been? Take a uh, guess. Marshall Falk. So that's close. It's, it was just after him. Priest Holmes did it in 2001 and 2002. Falk did it as well. Falk did it in 1998 with the Colts. He did it in 99 with the Rams. And I think most people at this point, it's not an original opinion to say that McCaffrey feels like the reincarnation of Marshall Falk. So maybe he can be that guy. But Ladanian Tomlinson never did it. Plenty of other guys that are, have been tremendous players have never done it. Thurman Thomas actually did it four years in a row back in the late 80s, early 90s. But again, only four dudes in the last 45 years in the NFL, four of them 
have put together back-to-back years where they led the NFL in yards from scrimmage. It's a really hard thing to do. It's not a knock on McCaffrey. I just look at guys that we've already mentioned, Barkley, Elliott, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of Kansas City, I think is going to have a ton of yards this season. Nick Chubb in Cleveland could have a huge, huge year. Uh, Kenyon Drake in Arizona is a guy that, now that he's the full-time back in Arizona, could have a big season. Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas. There's a lot of guys that I think are going to challenge for 15, 16, 1,700 yards and are going to at least be in the conversation with McCaffrey. Bill Barnwell's prop bet for the Carolina Panthers is that he will have, for Chris McCaffrey, uh, over under nine and a half yards more than any other player's yardage from scrimmage. So again, being the total yards from scrimmage leader for the NFL by nine and a half yards are more uh, in uh, 2020. And here's the other thing that's complicating it. I think that there's going to be a role. I don't think it's 150 touches, but but between Bonifin and and Mike Davis and maybe Jordan Scarlett, if you want to throw that name in there, depending on how many backs they carry, I think there's probably going to be 100 touches that they reserve for backs across the year that isn't Christian McCaffrey-based if Christian can stay healthy. But I think that number's a sliding number. Like, I think the other big part of, of Christian McCaffrey's usage this year is there is the ideal world which you get him out into slot maybe 10% of the time like they do with Alvin Kamara in New Orleans. Maybe you try him out wide here or there just to throw a different look and maybe confuse the defense. And then the rest of the, you know, 85% of the plays, you're traditionally going to come from the running back spot. But that number creeps up into the ground game or 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 slides away from the ground game depending on what the backups can actually do this year and whether or not they can trust the backups for whatever reason they didn't trust they, they didn't trust the guys last year to really back up Christian McCaffrey but hell 2 years ago they had CJ Anderson who you would think could get 120 carries on this team if you were thinking the right way and trying to preserve Christian McCaffrey. So I think that's the other complicating factor here is it's not just how have they used guys in New Orleans it is, are other guys in this roster ready to truly be backups to Christian McCaffrey and more than just you know depth chart purposes? Yeah, and, and this is going to fall onto Matt Rule, and it's going to fall onto Joe Brady, because Ron Rivera and, and North Turner, and this is a North Turner thing, too. I mean, North, the last couple of years, he has a history of, of running his running backs into the ground. I mean, he's had, what, I think six guys in his career who had 400 touches in a season. I mean, North Turner is maybe the worst possible offensive coordinator you could ask for if you're trying to preserve a running back. And then once Scott took over the last couple of weeks, Scott didn't shy away from giving McCaffrey the football. I mean, they, they were pounding the ball with Christian McCaffrey in games that really had that were meaningless. So I, I didn't understand that. I was baffled at the fact that they kept just trying to give McCaffrey the ball. I mean, it was it was painfully obvious they just wanted him to get a thousand receiving yards by the end of the year because they took him out after he got it. I mean, that's a cool individual accolade, but I think McCaffrey will be the first one to tell you that he he's more worried about being healthy in the long run and, and the Panthers winning ball games than anything that, that they t- say about him as a, as an individual player. But yes, this falls on rule. This falls on Brady, Matt rule. You said you're all about sports science. 
You're all about analytics. Well, the analytics say you probably shouldn't run your running backs into the ground when they're 24 years old, especially if you just gave them a five-year contract extension. So, yeah, Reggie Bonifan needs more than 16 carries next year. Uh, Jordan Scarlett needs more than four carries next year because that's what they got in 2019. You've got to supplement the run game with other players. You've got to take McCaffrey off the field. It was all talk the last two years. Oh, we want to give we're going to reduce McCaffrey's snap count. Didn't happen. Oh, we're going to try to work other backs in. Didn't happen. It's got to happen now because McCaffrey, you can't just keep, I don't care how good of a shape the guy's in. It might be fine in 2020, but you're, this is a five-year plan with McCaffrey. You want this guy to be really good for a long time. And if you keep driving, Driving him into the ground with 320 carries and 400 touches, eventually that's going to catch up to you. It's caught up to literally everybody else. Yeah, and I, I also think this is one of the things that we can grade Matt Rule and this coaching staff on, right? I mean, yeah. if, if, it, if it's not going to be wins and losses, their usage of Christian McCaffrey as a valuable weapon, as a valuable asset, is going to be crucial. And, you know, earlier in the show, Josh, we threw out the don't sleep on fill in the blank. So talking about guys that we shouldn't sleep on this year in terms of their their ability to help the Carolina Panthers, one of the guys on my list that we never got to was actually Mike Davis. I, I know Jordan Scarlett's a former uh, you know former draft pick here. I know Reggie Bonifans uh, you know was really nice last year in those fifteen carries or whatever he got, but you know Bonifan to me is the backup to Christian. Bonavent to me is the guy who he can do similar things to what Christian can do. That doesn't mean it's going to mean he won't get any touches, but I I look at a guy like Mike Davis, who two years ago had 500 yards on the ground for Seattle, and as a guy who's a little bit more physical, a little bit bigger guy, that to me is the guy that I see at 225, 230 pounds being able to pick up some of those extra touches and, again, preserve Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, he's going to need to be. They need somebody because Davis is, you I mean, he's he's a bowling ball. He's he's kind of got that Cameron Artis Payne vibe to him. I think he's better than Artis Payne, but that 5'9", 225-pound dude that can take some of those short yardage plays off of McCaffrey if they need him to. What are your expectations for Christian McCaffrey in year one under Matt Rule and the great Joe Brady? And Bill Belichick is playing folks again, Josh. Sports Radio FNZ.